This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. Uh, this week, we're covering a topic that kind of a sore subject for a lot of people and that's market manipulation mm -hmm. and what market manipulation is versus a market correction how all that stuff works etc etc something that you know really is common when people talk about the reserve list but happens elsewhere as well oh yeah so with that said, let's get started. Yep. So this is actually uh, almost a direct follow up to the pod from I think it was 4 weeks ago where we talk about uh, what it was like or what we would have to do to kind of ensure that yeah. the secondary market moves smoothly and that there were no, you know, bad actors in the space. And what happens in a market like this is you do open yourself up to, to market manipulation because there are no controls. And yep. there are a number of ways that this happens, most often just through uh, effectively buyouts or yeah. removal of product from a marketplace every now and then uh this is i don't know how often people still check in on mkm but there are some large vendors there who do sell sealed product and yep. when they and they are individuals when they go away all that and put themselves on vacation mode a huge percentage of that product pool is thus removed sometimes people freak out now that's not market yeah. manipulation necessarily this is just what happens we can have these swings naturally or we can have, you know, a bad actor come in, an individual or group, and just buy out a ton of product and move the needle. Yep. So uh, the way I broke this out actually was to just look at it in regards to an actual marketplace like the stock market and the kinds of manipulation you have there. Yeah. And one of the things that comes pretty quickly to mind for me and i guess this kind of hit the zeitgeist was what uh one person called the great pyramid schemes did which was uh last summer bridging into the fall it was a thought experiment and this thought experiment has been done several times which is just if i take a reserveless card that nobody cares about and i start buying it over time in low quantity nobody's yeah. going to notice when it moves or when it yeah you know comes close to disappearing and then when it's ready to disappear i come out I mention what I'm doing. I post the photos of all the ones I have, and this creates FOMO and a huge mm -hmm. price pop. Now, uh, this is the graph of pyramids, and you can see this card was flat even through the advent of old school. It just hung around 60 bucks For whatever reason, the average was lower than the market. But nobody played this card, and uh, it has been mentioned across the cast on our quick hits, etc. But then you see that there was a jump to almost 750 when people freaked the hell out. And then it settled yep. at about 300. Now, this is uh, a great example of ramping or yeah. false demand, where it was one person doing all of this. And in time, they put out their mission state statement. They uh, put up all the photos of the pyramids that they had, what their plans were for the card long term, and their next target. And this yep. does parallel to the stock market. This is illegal, kind of? Not quite. In, in a regulated market, sure. Yeah. And this is something that you do see from time to time where it's just, well, why the hell all of a sudden does this card that does nothing all of a sudden do something? It's because somebody ramped it. Yeah. You know, they just created FOMO, tried to get a couple buys, 
and then are just going to sit on it till the end of days. Different from a pump and dump yeah. in the magic world, but this is a good example of ramping. So. Another example of something you can do is just a targeted buyout. Mm-hmm. Uh, specific example, there's a couple of them that the Cabal did. One was Pendrel Mists, yep. and one was Hatred. And if you look at the MTG stocks graph, you can see that they each hit their peak in May, July of 2018. So this was literally an example of, and I was one of the driving forces behind Hatred. I saw that it was at about $6. It was reserve list. Supply had started driving up, drying up a little bit. And then I checked MKM. And I was able to get about 300 copies off of MKM for around $700 total. Mm-hmm. Shipped, whatever. And I was able to buy list every single one of those for at least $10. Because it, as drying up the supply in Europe and moving it over here, this is something we talk about vendors doing to SATA demand. And then I bought up the American market. And when that started happening, people started getting FOMO, similar to pyramids. Yes. Now, the difference, especially in the case of hatred, is that it caused what we consider a market correction. Because prior to that, the low was around $6.00 your market was sitting at around 10 to 12. Since then, the floor on the low has doubled to $11, and the market is still sitting at around 13 to 14. But what you see is that when that ceiling raised, the floor corrected. So this is an example of rather than market manipulation, a market correction. Yes. Because demand existed, it was sated and the price was not appropriate for demand. So when people say a card like rip fires of invention, fires of invention is too good to be a dollar card. Okay. You buy it out. The market corrects. Hatred was too good to be a $5 card. Mm-hmm. Bought it out. The market corrected. Conversely, your pyramid example, not quite the same. Nope. Uh, and Pendromus being the other example I gave prior to May, it was around $4 low spiked up to 20 and now we're at about three dollars low yep uh another good example of this is wheel of fortune you take a look at that mm-hmm. card and before the most recent spike up to over 150 the car wheel of fortune went from a 20 dollar card in 2016 and climbed almost naturally to be a 100 dollar card in time yeah the price of this card was holding steady at about a hundred dollars for close to a year yeah and this was an example of a market correction i think i mentioned this on a quick hits episode basically as an accelerated timeline because the market could bear this price it will bear that price what happened uh in that jump to 150 was just a targeted buyout on the card to attempt to raise the floor and see if it was a new sustainable price if you could cause a market correction with Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. yeah. I honestly forgot about hatred because I didn't I didn't move in on that at all. Yeah. Uh, that was one of my favorites personally. But, yeah. You know. uh, another good example, something along the lines of Pendril Mists. Uh, it's, the definition of this is a run. And this yeah. is uh, what happened with the Legacy deck, Popeye Stompy. Mm-hmm. The Pirates deck. So... Uh, uh, a run Perfect. is basically, yeah, when, yeah, when uh, just f- information is leaked, it's not quite legitimate, there's no attributable source, and all of a sudden there's just a run on a card for a reason, or a run on a stock for reasons that people can't understand and it's not really supported. 
what happened what happened was you see what happened uh, was uh, <laughs> uh, Richard and Brigand and a number of other pirates in this deck just started getting bought out because of uh, Bob Wong and a group of actors on Twitter who just wanted to kind of do this for fun um, and then Saffron buying in yeah, thanks buddy pushing this narrative that there was this legacy deck that was just crushing the format going 4-0 drop so that it would never hit a 5-0 and then as uh, people, I think like Drew Levine and Julian Knob jumped on the train once they were kind of led into the, the background of what was going on in this thought experiment that uh, there really was no deck. And a couple days or a couple weeks after the original uh, tweets went out, it was now time to say it was a 5-0 deck and to hope that their list would make it through the Watsi gatekeeping of Moto decks. Yeah. Because shortly before that, Watsi changed their policy again on how many 5-0 decks would be put out online for people to kind of follow and the interesting thing about these cards is if you take a look at it's hard to see there is no market price for this card up until it spikes only after uh it spikes does there become a market price for this card so there was no demand before this at all or for most of the cards that eventually bob wong leaked in the list and put in his article on channel fireball so, again, as a run, this was just purely a, a rumor that eventually became reality, cited as a thought experiment. And, uh, and I'll, I'll put the a Wikipedia link up to yeah. uh, definitions of various pieces of market manipulation, and you'll read the definition of a run, and I'll also link the Channel Fireball article. You can see that without knowing what they did, they created a run on these cards almost yep. to the T by definition. And this is a yeah. great example of market manipulation. I, I don't think we've really seen anything like this prior and post, where all of a sudden there was just this kind of like thought thought experiment's a bad word to keep using here, but they just you know perpetrated. It, it was a meme. Yeah. I, they they perpetrated a troll basically to see who could buy into it, and then they did, and uh, you know it caused all these cards to spike. And I I also can't remember a time where it was like. I literally just a study in sociology and yeah. the behaviors of magic players where they just did something like this. They ran with it and it just blew up. Like People started did. creating their own deck lists because they had no idea what was going on. So as you mentioned, yep. Saffron Olive quote unquote bought in, but I think he only had what he could glean from the tweets and filled in the rest. Yeah. And he, I, I remember the tweet where he was like, somebody please give me this list. They're dropping it for one. I need to know this list. Yeah. And that's when he started buying in, and it sort of took off. And that that was a prime example of a, a run on this card that's just incredible. Yeah, uh, I, I picked Brigand because Bob Wong purposefully called out that card in the deck, and it's one of the only handful of rare pirates from Masks era that, yeah. in theory, was played in the deck. Uh, they eventually did put up a list. I think somebody did manage to 5-0 with some pirate pile eventually. But Yeah. Uh, it was brilliant if you watched it happen and you watched people fall into this punji pit, like obvious punji pit. But yeah, that was a good was example. Great. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. And that's that's also good because that's an example of you know something that didn't necessarily have anything but pure FOMO behind it. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say that it's common that this kind of thing happens with reserve list cards because yes. so far. All of the cards we've discussed have been reserve list in nature. But there are plenty of times in standard, uh, for, or even in modern. So two years ago, when Bridgevine premiered, 
Um, a friend of mine was at the Pro Tour. I asked him the day before, hey, what's what's the deal? What's the hot tech? And he said, these pros are really high on Vengevine. Buy your Vengevines. You can see, if you look at the Rise of Eldrazi Vengevine on stocks, mm -hmm. there are multiple times now where in 2018 and then in 2019, we went from a low period and it spiked. And then we went down a little bit. And each time the market is correcting after a seeming run, more or less. Mm -hmm. Also, of course, you have an Ultimate Masters reprint in there, which doesn't necessarily help things. Uh, but it's a good example of this can happen for something that is playable in a non-reserveless format. Oh, yeah. Because you do see where, you know, looking at the rise compared to Ultimate Masters. June last year, we were at $30 for the Ultimate Masters one, and then it sort of petered off after that Pro Tour happened. Yeah. And it's just an example of it's not necessarily just reserveless cards that this can happen to. This can happen to anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wild Defiance, I think, is another good example. There was a modern yeah. Pro Tour several years ago where the deck de choix was uh, Infect, but not a lot of people tested Infect for the Pro Tour. And Wild Defiance was kind of like the techie answer to bolt-based control or aggro decks. Yep. And Wild Defiance went from... Bulk, bulk to dollars and i think the foil yeah. still holds a decent price because of that the card has effectively fallen off there's a better answer or better option in um ixalan i just don't know the name of it so i can't bring shaper it up shaper sanctuary there it is there's a better answer in shaper sanctuary but wild defiance still holds a price because of that yeah and it's that's this is the case where you kind of have to look to the pros for innovation to see when this stuff is going to happen. And there have been times in the past where vendors have had a sponsored pro team. They see, great, this card is doing really well. Let's write yep. an article about it. Let's push it at the pro tour. Like it's it's just common. Star City's done it throughout their history yep. where they have, all right, we want to push these singles. Let's try to make them work in a format. Someone writes an article. The article takes off, and all of a sudden, the cards dried up everywhere because you know Jerry or someone wrote an article yep, about uh, it. Okay, uh, Jerry. Yep, and that happens uh, uh, awkwardly more than you want to think. Uh, at Detroit, I think 2013, the fall uh, after Return to Rav was released, we had not gone yeah. to Theros yet, but there was a vendor there who has who had a pro team at the time. And they came around Saturday, you know, day one of the event, early in the morning, and dropped off at every vendor a list of cards that they were buying. And yeah. on that was Desecration Demon for the price that we were selling. Yep. This vendor was buying Infinite Desecration Demons for the price that we were selling. Yeah. You know, and I think, I don't even know if we had hit Theros spoilers yet, but the idea was that Desecration Demon was too good for what it cost, and people had already begun experimenting with it on their team. They needed the copies, yep. and they wanted to get, to get out ahead of whatever wave, you know, was coming. You can actually, if you look at the stocks for Desecration Demon, you can see it in August of 2013. It goes from $2 low to almost 9 Because... They went in, they hoovered up all the copies, and yep. they tried to push it with their pro team. Yep. There it is, yeah. And it, it takes over at the Pro Tour, holds in the format for a couple months, and eventually comes down, despite the fact that it was one of the, it was one of the best decks in the format, yep. uh, even through rotation. But it, it's, it's interesting how that happens. Uh, speaking on uh, reserveless cards, we mentioned Pump and Dump before. It's kind of like the, the, the 
the biggest and brightest beacon we have for a monarch yeah. you know, market manipulation is the easiest one to point to aside from insider trading quote unquote and pump and dump it can effectively be done with anything uh, it can be done with a reserveless mm -hmm. card uh, it can be done with anything low pop you can buy into a spike before it happens with desecration demon if you are not that vendor just an individual and you happen to have that list you could get out in front of it you know yeah you would uh pump up your your not your position on the card but you would pump up the 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 card itself the idea of the card and then dump your copies into market uh doesn't quite work that way with magic it's very hard for one to pump up the idea of their spec when in reality you're just pulling copies from the market and then dumping them back in once it picks up yeah things we can point to easily are like grim monolith which just spiked which was it's a combination pump and dump into uh fomo where a, a not a buyout per se in this card is perpetrated but it was uh bought out under a certain price threshold copies restocked to move the market price as you can see on stocks there's a gigantic delta between market and average and that allowed uh the, uh, the people to reset the average by relisting their copies at a higher price than they bought uh, yeah. solidifying their position on the card by bringing back in some of that uh that lost capital so they'll break even the success rate on something like this with the grim on the buyout fairly low because the demand just wasn't there the other two we can look at are Thrasios Triton Hero. Uh, same thing, yeah. uh, perpetrated by uh, a number of people in a different group. Bought into that card, resold their copies to move the numbers on a card that just saw a little demand. And Tymina, the Weaver as well. Same thing. You can see the yeah. price spike very clearly on Tymina, and then it just kind of settles. And they were, these guys were selling into FOMO. You know, they have pump and pump and dump exactly like this you know move as many copies from the market as they can to kind of snap the price make that shoot up create a bit of fomo relist their products even if they want to quote unquote drop shipping yep. to them and uh bring the average up to meet the market at some point and either remove these copies from the market entirely or continue to sell into whatever demand exists uh prime example that i'll cite because it was one that i was semi-responsible for was helm of obedience uh, 2018, you see where it goes from low 12 to a peak of, well, low at the time was around $50. So over the two weeks prior, I slowly started picking up copies of Helm of Obedience. And then when TCG got below 100 copies, I bought 60 of them that were LP or better. Yep. Just hoovered them all up, price spiked, and I started selling them off. And mm -hmm. of course, I dump them to buy list as quickly as I could. I also posted on Facebook that I have, you know, some Helms of Obedience, and here's a picture of, like, 60 of them that are available. And then a bunch, you know, FOMO hits, and people start buying them because they think they're all gone. Yes. And when you do that, it's with the knowledge that you're not necessarily seeking a market correction. You're seeking a short-term, you know, it's just like shorting a stock. Yes. That is effectively what a pump and dump is. I'm shorting my stock. I'm getting it out the door after I you know pull a little bit of manipulation and pump up the price and that's another prime example of market manipulation that sometimes it's intentional sometimes it's not yeah. because sometimes the price sticks like hatred and you're like well it was a market correction but worst case it's a pump and dump and eh, you're fine yeah uh, then the idea behind that is to move quickly if you are yeah. not part of the initial movement you're going to be buying into a pending spike or into an already spiking card 
and your profit margins are going to be much slimmer. So yeah. to keep up with people that are selling at a lower price, your, your margins become close to zero, even negative sometimes a, uh, after fees and shipping. So yeah. it's difficult to want to buy into a position like that after you have heard that it, had, that it has begun. Yeah. Uh, it's also difficult to buy into certain pump and dump positions when you're not sure where the demand for something exists in the first place. Yeah, some also things, very true. Some things look good on the surface, like resetting the floor on Grim Monolith. It's most likely fine in the long run because Grim Monolith is a card that can hold a higher floorage reserve list. It's uh, iconic to a point. It is quote-unquote required for a handful of formats, but it's a nicety for the most part, and thus demand overall is very low. Bialis will rise in time because yeah. copies were kept off the market, and you know large companies have the ability to just sit on maybe four forever, and when they sell one, they'll buy another one eventually at a price they like. The yeah. commander examples that I gave, those are the hard ones to move in time because you're relying almost entirely on FOMO for those those two cards in particular. If you check Rex for those two cards, they're not very highly played from that commander season. Moreover, yeah. there does exist the opportunity for these cards to be reprinted in the upcoming commander set. So buying into something like that where there looks to be low demand and you have, you have a possible incoming reprint is very difficult to want to do. You have to be sure of your position, be sure you can... Uh, absorb a loss and then know what your outs are almost immediately or ensure that you yeah. can at least break even before you're left with a stack and that's another prime example of like something that's important to keep in mind with investing in magic in general is the reprint hazard especially now yes when we have spellbook chandra that just got spoiled today not i don't know maybe it's spellbook chandra or whatever it is uh, just got spoiled. We have, you know, the EDH set coming up. Yep, we have double masters. We have all these reprints. And that's one of the things is you need to be mindful when you're trying to invest. What are you looking at? Yep. Because that is something that leads to a lot of people losing out on like a pump and dump or trying to cause a market correction is they just get hosed by a reprint. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you're basically left, you know, hands down like what am i going to do yes and that's why you know if full unsolicited advice if you want to start experimenting with this personally i'd say experiment with a few pump and dumps first mm -hmm. before you go for a market correction because one of those is significantly longer term yes than the other yeah uh the i i purposefully sought a market correction i'm, I'm sure i've held up the the graded beta shatters that i have uh, that yeah. card was sell beta shatters in your mint were selling for eight dollars, which was just entirely too too low overall. So I bought a bunch out. Uh, what was remaining on TCG Player, nobody re relisted. A few more people in our group bought in, and then we all relisted on TCG Player to raise. Yeah, we reposted between thirty and fifty, depending on condition and grading. If it came back, and eventually raised the floor to something real, but we were able to absorb the the you know fifty dollars or so each that we would have to spend to correct that card purposefully yep. you know we were we were willing to do that we have uh i don't know if we've pumped and dumped honestly no i don't think so i still have a bunch of my copies though so maybe i'm well not even little... shatter like we've mentioned yeah. temporal trespass we've mentioned uh soldavi excavations, excavations was definitely uh well that that was a meme but i guess that could have been seen as a as a pump and dump yeah. based on the results Oops. Uh, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, what happened was a, a pump and dump for sure. 
But we generally try and keep our movements uh, guided towards the long term. So we're more interested in market corrections. We would rather absorb copies and eventually float the market price of these cards up to something that we believe is a little more realistic than what exists. And that does kind of inflate the ego of what we're doing, but we're not really heroes in this regard. We just have a position that we think should be better. Yeah. And then Uh, so act accordingly. Yeah. You know, if you can, go for it. If you can't, you you just have to hold back and wait and then wait for markers to roll in, you know, people who are paying attention to this, people who are swing trading or day trading effectively to let you know what your cues are to to move in and see if you can buy in quickly, that kind of stuff. Um, Unless you have any other examples, I'm ready to move on to picks. Let's hit the picks. All right, cool. Um, I'll go first because mine's a little more cut and dry. So uh, my pick for this week is Dragon's Horde. This is a card from M19. Let me pull up the stocks graph. That basically just sat really quiet at about a dollar and in the last couple of months has just had a really nice slope. A really nice price slope. Slow and steady, slow and steady. And it's starting to hit buy lists now. Uh, CK was buying they've been buying copies for a number of weeks now uh, although the number has finally begun to dwindle they're currently buying let's see four copies at 90 cents a dollar 17 in trade which is now about 50 percent of what uh, tcg's market is on the card yeah but that number has stayed fairly high Uh, their demand has not been sated and the price has not dropped this entire time so they still are churning through inventory. This is a yeah. card that if you can buy it for close to a dollar and it looks like you can... This is difficult because there are a lot of single copies here with like 75 cents shipping, which means you're going to pay what Bilas is double, but this is a card that you yeah. should be able to pick up, easily sit on, and be okay with. It does one specific thing, and that is allow you to play a big dirtily dragon EDH deck and recoup some kind of value by being on that plan. And the reason I like this card compared to some others that pay you out for paying, playing a specific creature type is because this is attached to dragons, which is probably one of the like most casual tribal decks that you'll ever see in EDH after angels. Yeah. And there are a ton of people that will just play dragons. Even if you want to combo out with scion of the Ur dragon, is that its name? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the Ur-Dragon, I'm sorry. Um, oh yeah, Ur-Dragon. Is... Yeah, which is one of the top commanders for this card. You can still recoup value uh, with this card. Oh, there's Cyan and the Ur-Dragon, both of them. Okay, right? You can recoup value immediately with this card because all the dragon has to do is hit the battlefield. You don't have to cast it. So uh, you saw Zerolin of the Claw on that list as a top general. That keeps you in mono red, but Zerolin is effectively a sneak attack for dragons. So every time yeah. you just drop a dragon in, you're going to draw... Uh, Perforos Bronze Blooded is also on this list down towards uh, the bottom, and that's basically a brand new sneak attack as a general. Yep. So you can literally just sneak at a bunch of dragons and win. Otherwise, this, this deck does exactly what it needs to across all five colors and play big, dirty dragons that want to take a couple big turns and eventually clear out the game. And this is a great casual card. If EDH demand yeah. isn't driving this card, then it's kitchen table magic because this is not a card that people are just going to buy a ton of over time. This is a card that just kind of flows by, uh, like yeah. the Crucible of the Spirit Dragon. 
the five sea land for dragons, right? Yeah. Uh, is that it? I think it's crucible. Yep, crucible of the spirit dragons. Yes. Yep. Right. That just floats by, and it did. Ha it had a very real price until it was reprinted. It. And it these fit in the same decks, the same paradigm. Without a reprint, this card's just going to climb. If you buy in now at two dollars, you probably will not be remiss in. If this slope continues, I would say probably. 12 months at the most you can get out of this to buy lists at a decent profit if you buy in right now around yeah. two just because i do not see this card dropping in price it does have eminent reprintability because it's so generic yeah that is that is definitely a, a fear to have but i don't know if we would see this in a standard set again this was in m19 which i uh, which came either on the heels of M19 was not on the heels of comms, but there were no dragons in the previous standard or in standard thereafter. This was made specifically yeah. for the EDH crowd. I don't know if we'll see this card come back again. I highly doubt it. It's just going to be a slow and steady gainer. So Yeah. I, th I think it's a really solid card, especially, you know, like you said, the only risk here is reprint. Obviously, casual EDH is the way to go. Mm -hmm. As, you know, we've talked about, it's one of the most like popular formats it's the only format that's financially growing right now right? and i say it's basically dead yeah so i think that's especially right now something that's important for people to keep an eye on and try to get into because once organized play starts again and people can go to stores i would expect obviously all formats are going to do well i would anticipate casual edh doing significantly better yeah no uh, yeah and like I said, it, it's it's a really interesting card. It, it plays a number of roles in recouping advantage because you can draw a card or it's a mono rock for your dragons. Yeah. And, Either one is pretty solid. Yeah. All right. Yours is a little more interesting. Yeah. So kind of on the casual EDH train still, um, I'm specifically saying here the comic book art triomes from Ikoria. Now... We're in kind of an interesting spot with Akoria. There's not a lot of limited that's being played. There's not a lot of product being opened because of that. There's not constructed standard happening. So financially, it's one of the like lowest value sets we have seen in a very long time. And these alt art cards have an iconic art style that has mainstream credibility and is something that casual EDH players are going to love forever. Uh, example we'll just cite right now is Zagoth Triome. The most expensive one is sitting at about $9 with shipping included low on TCG right now. Yep. The others are anywhere from 6 to 8 I think these alt arts are criminally underpriced. They're a very good early target for you know pimping out your EDH deck if you're just getting started. It's something that the more people play EDH and get the, like, 36 or whatever it is, where it's every color combination, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the more these are going to sell. And it's something that people will always pick up. They'll take it to even a trade. Mm -hmm. They'll give it to even a trade. So they're incredibly liquid. And I think that right now, while we have an incredibly low demand and an incredibly low supply, hear me out, is the time to buy. Because... We're not getting more supply after this, and this is a sneaky 
card that I think is going to go up quickly. Mm-hmm. Especially when you compare, you know, Sagoth is about $9 for the showcase. Uh, we're sitting at about, what is it, 8 Eight fifty, or sorry, six for the uh, non-foil pack, yep. and then it shoots up to seven and eight very quickly on yep. TCG. So there's not a lot of disparity between those two, and the showcase art is market improvement mm-hmm. over the card, and it's a good low-grade pimp that you can use in EDH or Legacy. I don't know, absolutely. I, some of the comic art, I don't understand why it's so cheap if the cards have utility or are you know, just generally good in some yeah. respects. The the triomes outside of showcase are definitely a card I would wait to pick up on rotation, but I I yep. agree that earlier is better on these uh, showcase or comic or full art whatever they the technicalities for them are the lands are now yeah. yeah and the the nice part about this is is that even if they do reprint the triomes because they will finish the cycle in time and this is a kind of thing just like the buddy lands from corsets prior and the uh, Innistrad check lands that were reprinted in was it, no uh, Dominaria. Yeah, we will see these again at some point in a, because they're not tied to this a set really. But we're not going to get the same comic art again. No, we might get the same set art, but this comic art should be unique each time. I don't foresee yeah. them reusing it. So as a as an investment piece or a utility piece, I think the showcase is definitely the way to go right now that's i picked up my narsets that way sitting on a box yeah. on my desk because it was eight or nine dollars or whatever it is for the narset that was already seeing play seemed ridiculously cheap for that card because that art is yeah. so unique also it speaks to me because she looks like sub-zero that's <laughs> classic yeah that's neither here nor there but yeah that's why i bought but them. that that's another example of you know these the kind of nice thing about them doing a million different versions of every card now is there are versions of the card that are effectively reprint proof. And when you have the showcase that's so stylized like it is, yep. it's not something they're very likely to revisit in the future. So be it Narset, be it the Triomes, I think it's a good time to get in on them while there's no demand for these cards outside of EDH. Yeah, uh, exactly. I would have fought you if these had the same art as the set because that, yeah. that means that eminently when they get reprinted if they continue to do the showcase stuff by the time we get there then yeah you're gonna walk face first into that yeah on, on like into that issue but with the unique stylization the neat unique look the low demand for the majority of these right now the utility they serve immediately yeah, yeah it, it seems like even if you just want to own a set to own a set by all means pick them up yeah it's worth it absolutely um no, I like it. I think we'll, we might wind up picking up some of the more showcase cards, picking up more showcase cards as we go through, because that's all we have right now is EDH. Yeah. And there are a lot of low hang. There's still a lot of low hanging fruit for EDH. A lot of my uh, picks that I'm tracking for this pod, and almost entirely EDH. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion that some of these showcase cards are going to work their way on there once they drop a little bit, especially once the demand for Toho. Yep. has begun to dry a little bit, which seems odd if demand would dry while price go up because people will have stopped opening them. They will move on to the next set by the time that happens. And then yeah. as something unique comes around and makes them more desirable, we're going to see a run on those cards and we will just not have the supply to support it. Yeah. So keep an eye on that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, 
you know, until Paper Magic comes back, which if you follow us on Twitter, you'll see that there's some rumors circulating that we may not be getting Paper Magic for a while now. Yes. Obviously, Wizard said no more, and Channel Fireball events looks like it might be on the way out. And if that happens, GPs next year are going to be pretty interesting. So. Absolutely. Uh, but that is going to be it for this week, guys. Thanks for bearing with us through these trying times. You know, yep. It's crazy out there, and we had to delay a bit for various reasons, and we're lucky to get it in today. But we'll be back next week, and we'll see you guys then. Yep. See ya.